The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show start to finish in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I am Mike Hack. Hope everyone's having a wonderful start to their week. We are coming off of... UFC 289, which ended up being a pretty fun card, which which is one of the things that we sort of d- discussed on the, the show and all our other programs. On paper, this card was, compared to most UFC pay-per-views, on paper, this is not a great lineup. This is not a star-studded lineup by any stretch of the imagination. We had a somewhat interesting main event on paper, one that a lot of people are hoping or at least predicting could be real interesting and perhaps another upset could happen. A lot of people were on the Arena Aldana underdog train, myself included, and it turned out that Amanda Nunes just brought her A-plus game and Arena Aldana did not bring anything close to that. It was a combination of, of the two. Amanda just... Did her thing, did it really, really well, and Arini just had nothing for her. That was, and I hate to say this, but this is what we do. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with what we saw. That was one of the all-time worst performances from a championship challenger I might have ever seen in the UFC. She just, I don't know what it was. And she landed like a really good shot in the first round when she, 
got a little more aggressive. She did. Like, she she popped Nunez in the first round. She landed the best strike of the round. And then just nothing. And she admits that herself. So I'm not, like, I'm not trying to pile on her. But this was bad. This is a really bad showing from Irene Aldana. But I don't want that statement and what I just said to take away from what Amanda Nunes did because she looked great. She looked incredible. And she beat the hell out of Irene Aldana. Lopsided win. I 50-43 was a fine scorecard in my eyes. 50-44 was about as generous as you can get. And then Amanda Nunes announced her retirement from the sport of mixed martial arts, which we I think we all sort of saw that coming, right? I felt if she lost, she was definitely going to retire. She would feel like the division is in good hands with somebody that she truly respected. And if she won, there's just nothing else for her to do. She could fight Juliana Pena again. I think Amanda was well aware of the reaction to that fight to begin with. Not a lot of people were really clamoring for it. We saw how Juliana Pena reacted to all of it. And I thought her sticking around out of spite was pretty tremendous. And I think she retired kind of out of spite too. All to, towards Juliana Pena. And I respect that. And to a certain extent, even though a lot of people are giving Juliana Pena a lot of backlash, I actually sort of respect what she's doing too. I just wish she was a little more honest with herself with, with how she's doing it. Like Jen says this all the time. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. Juliana Payne is a grizzly, but she's also, I don't know if it's just completely dishonest or just outright naive. I think it's probably somewhere closer towards the former, but a little piece of the latter as well. And Juliana Pena, talk of the talk, she's probably going to get herself into a title fight for the vacant belts. I would assume they're just going to go ahead and do Juliana Pena versus Raquel Pennington. I think that fight makes all the sense in the world. And my whole thing was just do it on the tough 31 finale. Like do that fight on that, on that card. Like let's not do the tough finale fights on just a apex throwaway fight night car, which they've been doing the last couple of years. Let's get a small arena, you know, 2,500, 3,000 people. And usually with those old Ultimate Fighter finales, we would get a main event with some stakes, sometimes some name value. Let's put the title on the line. Let's do the title fight on that card. And like the backlash I've been getting from that is, well, the UFC doesn't do that. They have done it. Maybe not on a tough finale card, but they have done fight night title fights. They did it with the first ESPN card. They did it with Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw. They did it with Valentina Shevchenko versus Liz Carmouche. There's a September 16th fight night card that's going to be at the T-Mobile Arena that's being sort of billed as a Mexican Independence Day card. It would not shock me at all if they did Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko too on that card which in most people's eyes, we're talking about pay-per-view draws and selling pay-per-views. That one is going to do much better and get a few more clickety clicks on ESPN plus than Raquel Pennington versus Juliana Pena is going to do. So if we're going to put that one on a fight night card, why not just do the vacant title fight on the tough finale card? Because these two 
were around each other. They built sort of a rivalry. Dana White thought these two were going to fight each other in the finals of that tough season they were both on to begin with. Let's just tie a bow here. Tie a bow to this whole story. Raquel Pennington has not said nice things about Juliana Pena. Juliana Pena doesn't say nice things really about anybody. Let's just do it there. Like, who cares? Where are we going to put it? Where else are we going to put it if we're going to do it this year? Everything is already coming together. Boston, we have two title fights. 29th is booked, or for the July 29th card, UFC 291. It's not going to happen at 290. They're going to Sydney. The fight makes no sense to do it in Sydney. Makes no sense to do it in Abu Dhabi. MSG, no. Why would we do that? It looks like maybe they do Jones Stipe. Wouldn't stun me if they did Colby Leon on that card as well. And then if they get Connor back in December, why put it on that? You don't need to. So are we just going to wait till January or February to crown a new champion? Why would we do that? Just put it on that card. Have a little fun. More people will watch it. Let's just have a little fun with this. Of course, Charles Oliveira, wonderful performance against Benil Dariush, knocks him out in the first round. I see a lot of people on Twitter talking about, well, I guess Benil was not really good to begin with. What? That take drives me nuts. That take drives me nuts because Benil was doing pretty damn good. He had a good start to the first round. Got him down. Was, have, was doing really well. Oliveira was doing decent on the bottom two. He was landing some elbows, landing some shots. The up kicks were nice, but then eventually got back to the feet. And Oliveira got him out of there in the first round. Like he just blasted him. Absolutely blasted him. Benil was hurt. Oliveira had his back. Benil did a nice job getting back to his guard, but Charles was like, all right, I'm just going to punch you in the face a bunch. And. You got to feel for Benil Dariush here, but that is the lightweight division, my friends. That is the lightweight division. And I respect Benil Dariush a lot for putting his standing and everything on the line there. And But now it's Charles Oliveira. Looks like they might just do the Islam Makachev rematch. I'm down for it. I'm much more down for it than I thought I was going to be. I didn't think there was really any chance they were going to go to that well, but I think they're going to have to at this point. The only way this doesn't happen is if Alexander Volkanovsky just absolutely runs over Yair Rodriguez in record time and does it without taking a punch and can turn back around real quick and fight. It all depends on Volk. If Volk has the performance of a lifetime against a really tough guy, runs over Yair Rodriguez, and then gets on the mic and does the damn thing, I do see a world where the UFC could just be like, all right, we're going to do this instead. Could see it happening. Abu Dhabi, that whole area, that government pays the UFC a shit ton of money to host cards there. And if everybody feels like this is the bigger fight, they could go to that direction. I don't want to see it personally. I do want to see these two guys fight again. I don't want to see it too quickly. We just saw it. We just saw it. Let's let Volk do some do his thing at 145. Let's let Islam Makachev defend his title against some lightweights for a little while. Next year, we can revisit this if they both run off two or three title defenses. I'm fine with that. But I could see a world where the UFC could pivot if all this happens. Other than that, I'm cool with Charles Oliveira getting the title shot after that. I honestly don't think the fight's going to go much differently than the first one. But I think after that performance, fans are going to think that maybe he has a little bit better of a chance. And who knows when Chaos Oliveira 
goes out there and does the damn thing. So great performance from Oliveira. I love that he cut the promo in English. I thought he had an A-plus night all around. Absolutely. And not only that, the dude is over like Rover. He was like the honorary Canadian. He got the biggest pop of any anybody all week long. So good for Charles Oliveira. Well done. Good for Mike Millot as well. What a performance he had. Really well done. Danny Gay did Danny Gay things against the dangerous Nate Lamware. Marc-Andre Barrio and Eric Anders had a middleweighty middleweight fight, at least on paper, but then they just beat the hell out of each other. And that was a fun fight. Great performance from Jazz and Justin Beast. Great performance from all the Canadians. This was a fun card. If you spent the $80 on this card and watched it, I think you were fine with it. I think you were happy with what you paid for. This wasn't the sexiest card on paper, but I think if you bought it and watched it, I think you had a good time. This over-exceeded your expectations. I had a great time watching it. Me and GC during the watch party. We had a blast. We had a blast. And then Ariel jumping on was a nice little surprise. And getting to watch some fights with Shaheen Al-Shadi. Watch the main event with my best friend, A.K. Lee, who is standing by. We'll get to him in a moment. That was Saturday. Feeling pretty good about the combat sports landscape after Saturday night. Post-fight show. We did on to the next one before I had to catch a flight. And then Sunday rolled around, my friends. And then Sunday rolled around. And the way my flight schedule had worked out, I was home by like 4.30 p.m. Eastern time in my house. And one of my colleagues had asked if I would be interested in being sort of his tag team partner in covering the Floyd Mayweather, John Gotti third card. And to be honest, I wasn't really interested in it. However, on travel days... I prefer to work on Sundays and have Monday off. That's what I like to do. I like to have Monday to kind of just rest, recoup, kind of recharge the battery. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. If I can have Monday off, I will, I will tag in and do this. And boy, was that a horrible decision. That card was absolute fucking trash. It was trash. I honestly was embarrassed to be watching it. It was so awful. Everything about it was awful. There is nothing good at all. First fight ends with a third round knockout by Kamari Burnside. Like a clear as day knockout. Clear as a bell. Anybody who watched it saw there was a knockout. You know what? You know what they did? They called it a no decision. Kamari Burnside knocked out a man and they called it a no decision because it was an exhibition fight. The fuck is that? And on top of that, my colleague who was covering the card with me was told that the the fight started at 9 p.m. Eastern. He didn't even know the fights were happening. I hit him up on our Slack channel. I was like, are you watching this promo right now? They were doing a promo on Zeus about this reality show that was fucking terrible. It was just a bunch of women fighting and screaming and yelling at each other. I'm like, who the fuck watches this shit? It was like a nine minute promo. This is not a, like a 60 second promo. This is like a nine minute promo. And I'm like, are you watching this? And he's like, you're scaring me right now. The event doesn't start till nine Eastern. I'm like, no, it's on. And we've already had a fight. So there is one problem with promoting the event. Then we got 
Another boxing match, which went the distance, no decision, cool. They actually announced a winner, but then declared it a no decision. Then we got a bare-knuckle fight between Hector Lombard, 45-year-old Hector Lombard, and journeyman MMA fighter. It says Eric Turner. That's how it was broadcast. His name is actually Eric Smith, who's, I think he's 39. And they had, in my opinion, the least vicious, the least compelling, and the least violent bare-knuckle fight in the history of bare-knuckle fights. Hector Lombard won, but... Like, these guys didn't even have a mark on their face. It was just, ugh, golly. And then we get to the next fight. Jarrell Big Baby Miller is on this card against Antonio Cepeda. And this is supposed to be like the Jarrell Big Baby Miller comeback fight. Um, this is my first step on the road to getting back to, you know, maybe fighting for a world title someday down the road. This was the worst fight I've ever seen. This was the worst fight I've ever seen. I tweeted out, saying this is a bad fight is not justice. I had to say bad twice. It was a bad, bad fight. It was so bad. Awful. One of the worst fights I've ever seen in my entire life. What are we doing? Then we get BKFC fighter Yuli Diaz versus Kalas Kareem. Kalas Kareem looked good. This fight wasn't bad. It just wasn't very good. Kareem clearly won, but it's an exhibition, so it's declared a no decision or whatever. And then we finally get to the main event. It took us like 45 minutes to get there. If you want to know how I was feeling at the time watching this card and then getting ready to watch this fight, I probably delivered the most honest live blog in MMA fighting history because this card was already a tough hang. The commentators are doing their best to, like, keep people invested. But, like, the fight just never – it took forever to get there. And this is, like – I know in boxing, like, they, they will build things up and they'll spend some time. And, like, sometimes it takes forever in the spacing of fights, especially before the main event. At this point, like, nobody really cared what the hell was going on. And then finally, here comes John Gotti III. John Gotti III makes the walk. I like John. I've met John many times. I've interviewed him many times during his MMA career. You can tell he was he was taking this seriously. We talked about naivety and being naive. I think John was a little bit more naive than he probably should have been. He comes out, he's taking this very seriously. And then here comes Floyd Mayweather. Floyd makes the walk. Nice moment. He's got his sort of infant grandson carrying them they're having a nice moment the grandson's like smiling like it's really like it's adorable it's adorable stuff and then floyd is just standing on the ramp for what seems like 35 minutes and then he eventually walks to the ring and he walks to the ring with like 800 people this was a line of people that would not end including david ortiz former red sox Stud, most clutch hitter in the history of baseball. David Ortiz is there, along with 699 other people. And it took Floyd Mayweather and this barrage of people forever to get to the ring. So they do the introductions. They're both in the ring. We're about to get this fight started. But guess what? We can't get the fucking fight started because this 800 people surrounding the goddamn ring are 
so close to the ring that the judges, the commentators, everybody else ringside were just like getting crushed. Everybody was trying to squeeze into this little ringside area. So we had to wait like another five minutes for them to clear the fucking ringside area out. And I'm just getting frustrated. I'm like, what the, like, what is this? I felt literally horrible for anybody who spent money on this piece of shit card. And not even to, and on top of all that, there were like musical performances that made me want to rip my ears off and rip out my eyeballs. It was just awful. They tried so hard to be Triller and they sucked at it. It was so bad. I was, I was embarrassed to be a combat sports fan watching this pile of steaming dog shit on my screen. I, it was, there was a point where I was like, anytime we write up an article on MMA fighting about Jake Paul, people get pissed. I am here to tell you that enjoy Jake Paul for as long as you can because compared to this fucking fiasco, Jake Paul is the man compared to this thing. I, I was like, get me to August 5th. Get me to Jake Paul Nate Diaz right now because I would be the happiest person in the world. People say like Jake Paul's ruining boxing. No, this shit is ruining boxing. This shit is ruining boxing. Oh yeah, by the way, they had a fight. And Floyd is just doing Floyd things to poor John Gotti III. And John, he's a trier. He tried. And Floyd just piecing his ass up. John can't touch him. This is what we expected. But then Floyd starts talking a bunch of shit. And John is not a great boxer, but he's not going to listen to your shit talk either. Again, him being kind of naive, not understanding what's happening here, is getting, you can tell he's getting a little pissed at all of this. And then he starts talking a little shit too. He starts talking more than Floyd. And Floyd's just laughing at him. Floyd's just laughing at him. You know the image of like, the bigger, stronger person is just standing there. And then like the smaller person who can't do anything to you is trying to move towards you. And then the more emphatic human being just sticks out his hand and puts it on the forehead. And the other person just swinging his arms, trying to get inside and can't do anything. That's what this was like, which is what's to be expected. End of the fifth round, John Gotti's pissed. And the referee, Kenny Bayless, goes over to Gotti and says, stop with the shit talk. Stop with all of it. Listen to my instructions. And if you don't do that, I'm going to stop the fight. And Gotti's corner says, cool, I get it. But go over to Floyd's team and tell them the same thing. Tell them to stop talking shit. Let's just have a fight. And then out comes the sixth round. And all hell breaks loose. There's a clinch. Gotti won't let him go. They're talking to each other. And the referee stops the fight. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Are you kidding me? And then Gotti's just like, okay. And it just goes after Floyd. <laughs> just goes after Floyd and throws a punch. And he's trying to throw more punches. And then Floyd lands the best right hand he has landed in 25 years. He hit Gotti with the best right hand 
he has landed on any boxer in the last two and a half decades. And Gotti was blasted. He was like, he got hit so hard, he just backed up to his corner. And then everybody jumped in the ring. It was Gotti's team of like five or six people against 200 of the 800 members of Floyd Mayweather's team. And they're fighting, they're fighting, they're throwing punches, all this stuff. And to me, like, I'm thinking of this as it's happening. I'm like, what the fuck? And I, like, literally send uh, a Slack message to Steve and Morocco, who I was doing the card with. I'm like, holy shit, man. What the hell is this? And we're thinking maybe it's a work. Or maybe this is supposed to happen. I don't know. Gotti gets, like, immediately shifted out of the ring. He gets out of Dodge. The coaches and the corners and the teams just continue to go at it in the ring. And then I'm still thinking like, all right, maybe it's a work that like fell apart and it's become a shoot. I don't know. And then all these videos start coming out. We see videos of Gotti's team and Mayweather's team, like friends and family. They're just fighting in the crowd. And Gotti's team's like beating that ass. Like all those fights that are like one-on-one and not cheap shots. The Gotti guys are winning. Like, they're winning. And then we see videos of fights in the locker room area. One of the wonderful performers getting into a fight in the backstage area. This card was a fucking embarrassment. This is trash. Light it on fire. Throw it in a trash barrel. Fuck that. Fuck that. I don't regret very much in my uh, MMA fighting run, but volunteering to help out covering that card, I would have rather worked Monday. I would have rather worked Monday. This was a this was despicable. All of it. I hated my life for three and a half hours watching this card. It was awful. It was so bad. And now Gotti. They're probably going to do this shit again. This is awful. So if you watched it, I'm sorry. (laughs) If you didn't watch it, I'm literally telling you how you would have felt about it. You saved yourself 20 bucks and you saved yourself serious regret. The only thing that mattered, I guess, that anybody gave a shit about was the aftermath and there were clips all over social media. So... There you go. You just saved yourself $24 after tax or whatever it was. But this, this was awful. What a shit show. Jake Paul ain't ruining boxing. This is ruining boxing. This is ruining combat sports. All of it. Exhibition bullshit. It's running its course. And what's insane to me is that they sold out the building. They sold out a hockey arena for this card. Wow. So there you go. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. 
only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, let's go to you guys. I'm off my soapbox. My best friend, you're the prince of positivity. Bring me back, please. Uh, my best friend, Mike, I'll do, I'll do what I can. I mean, listen, you were just talking about uh, what a great card you watched, uh, what a great fight that you saw in the main event, and all the other great fights you saw. I, I'm really happy for you. It's great to see you, uh, see you in such a great mood to start the day. Uh, but speaking of great <laughs> fights, we, we so we got into a little we I say me and Casey and uh, I don't know some randos on Twitter, like a little mini debate about the goats, Amanda Nunes, the women's MMA goat. You know, all, I I'm, I'm a huge fan. You know, her accolades un, unmatchable for sure. Casey made a point replying to someone that like it was weird that Nunes like the one thing she's kind of missing on her resume. And I don't know if you saw this like conversation, some of these conversations that were happening, is like she she's kind of missing a great fight. Like a great, like really memorable, like five, but not even a five rounder, but just a fight that was somewhat back and forth, somewhat competitive. Um she had competitive fights, but most of her like but her competitive fights were were pretty bad. Like I think I think the one someone threw at the counter was like uh, oh, Shevchenko Nunez too. That was a great fight. And I'm like, well, now now I know I'm dealing with a crazy person because that fight was atrocious. So I don't know. I don't, do you agree? Do you agree that she's never had... She's had great performances. No one would dispute that. And very entertaining ones, too. Like, uh, it's not even saying, like, oh, her dominance is boring. No, that Ronda Rousey fight was great for as long as it lasted. Misha Tate, Megan Anderson. Uh, what's the other I'm forgetting. Oh, Chris Cyborg, 51 seconds. Super exciting. But, yeah, I, I don't think she has that really memorable... Like, when we think of other all-time great champions, uh, George St. Pierre has a few... Like uh, Carlos Condit was a great one. Of course, Anderson Silva may be the greatest, champ- most exciting like championship comeback ever. Chael Sonnen. And Amanda Nunes just doesn't have that moment. Not that she needs it. It, it, was, it was just a conversation. It was just like a, this was not to nitpick or diminish her, say like she's not the greatest. It was just sort of like, you know, just examining her legacy and saying, oh, that's kind of a weird, quirky thing that she doesn't have that. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't agree, Mike. I, I don't know what your, what your thoughts are on uh, whether she, she is missing that and whether it matters. Mm, I mean, I like, look, the cyborg fight lasted 51 seconds, but that to me is probably the one. It didn't last very long. We didn't get to see like a Glover Teixeira, Yuri Prohashka fight out of Amanda Nunes. And, and I guess that's okay. Um, but her and cyborg just beat the shit out of each other. And it lasted 51 seconds. They were just throwing a hundred miles an hour at each other for those 51 seconds. And then a man just caught her and dropped her and beat her. But I, I, I see the point, but I don't think that should take away really from what she's accomplished. And what's really interesting about Amanda is that she's kind of leaving at the peak of her powers like that. That performance, the last two performances were like, if we're talking about mixing the martial arts and checking off all the boxes, those are probably, those are right up there as like two of her 
most well-rounded performances. And they weren't boring. Like, they weren't boring. This wasn't the Jermaine Durandamy fight. This wasn't any of those. This wasn't the Felicia Spencer fight. Like, she beat the hell out of Juliana Pena. She beat the hell out of Irina Aldana. She fought two durable, tough fighters. And she tried to finish. She tried to get both of them out of there and couldn't. But she tried. And it's just, yeah, I guess it's an interesting point compared to, you know, a lot of these hashtag goat fighters. But, I mean, there's a, a lot of fighters you could say that about. But... To me, it's Amanda with a bullet. I think this performance, anyone who doubted it, kind of puts it over the top. But I get why people are having that discussion. Like, you want to see the all-time war. Like, when you do Damn, They Were Good, you want to have, like, when we do the Amanda Nunes Damn episode, we want to have, like, this war, this incredible fight. Like, we did it about Benson Henderson. Benson had some absolute wars in his career. And maybe a man doesn't have that, but I would say Chris Cyborg is probably there. It just was a fight that didn't last very long. But I get it. I want to try to debate everything, have a conversation about stuff, and try to make it all make sense. Henderson, hello. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning to you, man. You too. So I have two ideas for the 135 women's division that I think would be a new way to refresh the division. And one of them has to do with uh, somebody moving up from 125. And I know you talked about uh, Valentina or someone on, on the podcast talked about Valentina, maybe moving up, but how about Aaron Blanchfield to move up to 135, not worry about cutting weight, keep working on her skills, fight the easier competition up there. And she could probably pick up that belt before she would ever have a chance to fight for the 125 belt. So that's one idea. And then uh, another idea was it talked, uh, you talked about how there aren't as many women athletes at upper weight classes. And uh, one idea that I've had before, and obviously it's worked a lot for the men's divisions is there's a lot of women's rugby players around the world. And there isn't a really a women's rugby pro level that's successful. And we've seen men's rugby players convert to MMA pretty quick. So I bet if somebody went out there and tried to pull like a Johnny Hendricks, like invest in, uh, in prospects and turn them into MMA fighter system, they could find some great athletes in women's rugby and in the Americas and also like around the world. Cause there's women's rugby in a lot of places. So interested to hear what you had to think on those two ideas. And also Charlie olives is the man. So, all right. Heck of a morning. Great show. Keep it up. Thanks, man. So, I mean, could you do that? Sure. Like going off the, off the beaten path, so to speak, to try to find prospects. Sure. You could do that. You could do that with any sport. Really? It's just a matter of, is the juice worth the squeeze for these athletes? That's the whole thing. And we've talked about this before and there's probably some truth to it. I don't know. Like, I'm getting closer to actually being on that side. But if you want to, if like, if you are, if you are an athlete, like if you are a super athlete who played another sport and couldn't quite get over the hump, but you want to continue to compete. If you just got into MMA and like really took it seriously for three or four years, you could get to the UFC. 
Like getting to the UFC as a professional athlete might be compared to all the other sports. It might be the easiest road of any of the other sports to get to like the big league. If you put in the time and you're an athlete and you could do all that stuff. Cause the way you do it now, I mean, all you need is like have an amateur run, go pro. If you win four fights, like you're in, you can go on the contender series. And if you just win a contender series fight, you're in more oftentimes than not. So there is a little bit of truth to that. As far as the Bantamweight thing goes, shout out to Aaron Bronsetter. He was first to report that Aaron Blanchfield wants to throw her name in the hat for 135. And I respect the gusto. I don't love it, though. I don't love it. It's interesting. But she's 24. She's on a nice run. Not saying, like, she can't get back if she loses to somebody. Like, if she goes to... Like, if she goes in there and fights Juliana Pena and loses, like, that's going to that's gonna look bad on her. People are going to just, like, chew her up. And I just don't want to see that for her right now. She's a win away. Like, I, there are rumblings that maybe she fights Manon Fioro on that Paris card. Do that. And then her first fight of 2024 will be for the belt. Now, could she take the title fight and win? Sure, but there's just no rush. She's not, like, 30. She's 24, 25. Like, she's just getting started. I, I just – if they do it, I'll watch, but not – to me, it just this just feels like, hey, if the UFC needs somebody, give me a call. I'll be ready, but I just don't think it happens anytime. I, I don't think she gets the call. I don't think she gets to call on this one. But I think the UFC will be like, all right, she's game. Respect. And it's always a good place to be in. The correct answer with all this is to do a tournament. Like, I know the UFC doesn't have fun with this stuff and they don't do tournaments, but they should do a tournament here. You want to get this division in people's, in people's minds? You want to get people invested in the division as a whole? Do a tournament. Do an eight-woman tournament. Or a four-woman tournament. I don't care. Just do some kind of tournament. If it takes a year, if it takes a year, 14, 16 months to crown a new champion, who cares? Who cares? You want women's bantamweight bouts that headline fight night cards to matter? Tournament fights. Just do a tournament. Have some fun with it. And if Aaron wants to be part of the tournament, cool. But then she's out of 125. She has to make a choice. And I'm down for the choices. Uh, let's go to Four Corner Sports. Hey, Mike, are you ready, man? All right. Yes. Yeah, so that's something I was, I was going to point out earlier was Aaron Bronstetter. He's put that out there. I believe, and this is my only opinion, maybe she just doesn't want to wait. She's may, maybe just getting frustrated that the Grasso-Serchenko fight hasn't been announced. So maybe that's why she wants to enter her name. Uh, I think Bronster has said that she wants to make sure that she's like the youngest champ. She might be 23, if I'm not mistaken, but it may be patient. It, it may be lack of patience on her end. That's why she kind of wants to get in there. But <clears throat> I think it's a bad idea because Juliana Pena, or she fights Raquel Pennington or, or whoever, most likely Pena, that'll be the other half of, of that vacant title fight. Um, it can it mess up her psyche. It can mess up her psyche and it can mess up, you know, like her going back down to 125 and then carrying that and that loss because you know they say that you, you learn more about yourself after a loss than a win so 
but I did want to talk about um the main event and the co-main event. Uh, main event was really bad. Um, never seen that. Never seen what's it called. Irene O'Donnell um, act like that. I mean, it's also the point that people should put like an APB out on her, you know, wondering, you know, where is she at? Because, you know, she just wasn't there. You know, Amanda, you know, I know Cormier said that, you know, Irene O'Donnell was, you know, pretty much like taking pictures, like, you know, as, as like a, as like a phrase, but Amanda, you know, took her time. I mean, she probably could have planned out her whole retirement speech and in, in the method that she was fighting um, uh, Irene O'Donnell. And I just think that, I I can't see Arena Donna, you know, fighting for a belt after that performance. You know, maybe after three or four fights, but that performance was really bad. And maybe she just felt the pressure, and maybe you know she just only had one game plan. And and if that was the case, then that's pretty bad, just because Amanda was able to exploit the lead leg, you know, drawing those front kicks, and it really took her off her game plan. Um, I believe what's it called? Um. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind what's the seeing Oliver versus uh, Islam. I know you. You don't really care for it, but I just think that who else is in, who else is going to be there available? It's not like they're going to put Islam on ice um, and him avoid the Abu Dhabi card. Gaethje and Poirier, they're not going to be able to you know recover that quickly. They're going to pretty much go through a car crash on July 29th. Um, you can't put in anybody else and. Would make no sense to put Benio Darius to be in there after a loss. So I mean, Oliveira is the next obvious choice, unless Chandler just sneaks in there, and you know just says the hell with the McGregor fight, you know just put him in. But I mean, that's a I would say that's like a twenty percent possibility. But if Oliveira goes inside there and you know carries that same model and just tries to crack Islam, then it'd be a very interesting fight. I mean, Islam is one of the more um, better defensive fighters that I've seen in the lightweight division. But this time, I mean, Oliveira's going to have to change his whole game plan apart. And the way that he carried himself against Darius, the, the moment that he threw that first um, high kick, I already knew that if it's on the feet, Oliveira's going to be able to, you know, starch um, Darius, and that's what ended up happening. But, Mike, um, always good speaking to you, and let me know what you think. Thanks. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll touch on the co-main event stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in. I'm in. Like this is the kind of performance that that gets you back there. I on like honestly, I don't think the fight goes any differently. I I don't. I didn't see anything in that fight that makes me think like, oh boy, Islam's in trouble. Because I even said like I I even said in the build to the first fight, I was picking Oliveira because mostly because I picked against him too much and I was just I can't pick against him anymore. And until somebody goes out there and beats him, I'm going to keep picking him. And because everything on paper told me that the fight was going to play out exactly the way it played out. Now, did I think that Islam was going to drop him before he finished him? No, not necessarily. But everything on paper told me that Islam was just going to kill him. And he dominated Oliveira. And it'd be interesting to see what kind of adjustments can be made because Oliveira can make adjustments. He did it in that fight. You saw him do it in the, in the fight with Dariush. Started off hot, made a mistake, got double underhooked, got taken down, got beat up. And when they got back on the feet, he made adjustments and then he knocked Benny out. But Islam stylistically is a horrible fight for him. It's a really tough matchup. Now, could he win? Could he land something big and hurt Islam? Sure. Could happen. 
But everything stylistically tells me, especially with a guy like Islam, who very rarely gets hit, very rarely gets touched, is so well coached, all of that, I just don't know if it happens again. Now, I'm intrigued by it. I will watch it. It'll be a fun watch party. The build to it will be fun. And if Oliveira can go out there and beat that man and win the belt, golly, do they have not just a great fighter. They have a guy. Oliveira is growing as a star right now. He is evolving into a star. People care about Charles Oliveira. Do I think he's on the first tier, first tier of superstardom in the UFC? No. Do I think he's second tier? He's knocking on the door. Do I put him like in the Max Holloway territory right now? Absolutely. He's like right where Max is as far as a star. Because Max gets those same reactions no matter where he goes, whether it's in Hawaii or Canada or California or even good old Kansas City. Max Holloway is a fire that people care about. Now, does that translate into hundreds of thousands of extra pay-per-view buys? No. There's a difference between being a star in popularity and a star as a draw. Because we're having this conversation on Sunday, like who's the bigger star? Is it Dustin Poirier or is it Charles Oliveira? And to me, it kind of just depends on how you look at it. If you look at it from who's the bigger baby face, who is going to get cheered anywhere he goes, it's probably Oliveira. But if it goes by who is going to get more people to reach into their pockets and spend $80, it's Dustin Poirier. Dustin has earned that. He's gotten to that point. It's him. But Oliver, if he goes back, if he goes out there and finishes Islam and wins the belt, he could be right up there with Poirier as well. So he's on something right now. And the fans are behind him. Let's see how it all works. But I'm in. I'm in for the fight. And you mentioned one name that could cause an interesting wrinkle to all of this. It's Chandler. It's Michael Chandler. Like, if Connor doesn't get back, Connor's still not in the USADA pool. Still not back in. Now, to me, that doesn't mean anything because the UFC could just chuck an exemption at him and he could be like, all right, it doesn't matter. You're in. But if like Chandler starts to get frustrated, he's like, when's this fight going to happen? If by like the end of July, we're not talking about when this fight's happening, if Chandler wants to fight for the belt, the UFC is going to ponder it. There's no doubt about it. They love they love them some Michael Chandler. Love they love him. But all there should get the fight. Uh, Daniel, hello. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning to you. Um, just wanted to talk about Dan Ige's performance this weekend. Um, just, I guess, more about his career than his performance. But uh, it, it feels like Dan Ige really loses to the next level of opponents, like a Cater, uh, TKZ, Emmett. Um, but he's clearly beaten the level below, like a, you know, like a Nate or Damon Jackson, Gavin Tucker. Um, just curious if you'll think he'll ever beat those next level guys at 145. I mean, he called out Ortega and Mitchell at uh, media interviews post-fight. I mean, me personally, I think Mitchell is, is probably the best matchup for him. I mean, at least just in skill-wise, feel like he could have some success there. But just ultimately, what do you think the ceiling is for Dan Inge? Um, yeah, j- just curious where you think he could possibly go. Thanks, Mike. I like Danny Gay a lot. I like the way he fights. I like his attitude. I like that he's so open and honest about 
who he is and things that he goes through as a professional fighter. Like you can learn more about the fighter life from Danny Gay than most other fighters. He's that dude. Family man, just an all around good guy. If I like if him and Cater fought again, I would probably still pick Cater, but it wouldn't shock me if Dan beat him. Like Dan can beat those guys. Like I think Dan, if Dan and Zombie fought again, that's an interesting fight. I think Dan just had a lot of pre- like just having conversations. I think Dan put a like a ton of pressure on himself for that zombie fight, like maybe too much. And Zombie looked great in that fight. So I, I think Dan could still beat some of those guys. Mitchell fight I like. It's a fine fight. Ortega, I I'm more into because I know Giga, Giga Chikadze has been out there saying that, oh, they want me to fight Brian Ortega. I would rather see Danny Gay fight Brian Ortega than see Giga Chikadze fight Brian Ortega. 100%. But the fight to me is Danny Gay versus Giga Chikadze. That's the fight I want to see. Because Dan is, I don't know if I put Dan, like a lot of people say Dan is like the ultimate gatekeeper. I use that term sometimes, but not all the time. Like, I don't think Dan's a gatekeeper. I think there's there's levels to gatekeeping. I think it's gatekeeper, and then it's above that is the litmus test. And Danny Gay is the ultimate litmus test. I think Rafael Asuncio for a long time at 135 was where Danny Gay is now. Just beating all those guys. And if someone's on the come up, let's see what they got. Can they be a top 10 dude? Let's throw them at Rafael Asuncio. Let's throw them at Danny Gay. And Dan's just got two of those back-to-back. So now it's time for him to get a step up. But at the same token, since Dan is the ultimate litmus test, let's give him Giga Chikadze. Let's see what happens. Can Giga be the guy? Remember when Giga fought Calvin Cater? People were talking about him fighting for the belt. And then Cater beat his ass. It was a one-sided performance. And Giga hasn't fought since. It's been well over a year since Giga Chikadze has fought. Let's get him in there with, with Danny Gay, and let's see what this guy can do. Is he a guy that can fight for a title, or is he going to be an exciting top 10, 15-ish kind of guy? That fight will answer the questions. I don't want to see him go in there and take a step up after getting battered by Calvin Cater. If the UFC wants to build him up and they think they have something with him, why would you throw him to Brian Ortega? That's a really tough stylistic matchup for him. Like, let's build this guy up a little bit. I'm not saying Dan's an easier fight, like a way easier fight, but I think stylistically, it's uh, it's an interesting matchup. And we'll get some answers. If Dan wins, he's a top 10 dude. He's like the number eight, number seven, ranked 45 in the world. Now we can give him another step up in competition. And if he loses, we can push Giga. Because that's a really good win. That would be the best win of, on his resume, in my opinion. Like right now, Year of Our Lord 2023, that'd be his best win. I know he's got Barboza on there, but Barboza isn't the same dude. Ige's still in his prime. Ige's still evolving and getting better. So that's the fight I would like to see if I had my druthers. But Mitchell's fine. But I think Mitchell and Evloy are kind of uh, circling each other, so... Uh, what's up for hey, us? Heck of a morning. Uh, just a quick question about Amanda Nunez. Uh, I guess on your personal GOAT list, uh, where would you rank her amongst, obviously she's number one for the women's divisions. Uh, 
but amongst men's and women's divisions combined, where would you rank her on the GOAT list? Is it, can you put her in the top three? Can you put her in the top five? Or would you have her around the, the eight to 12 range? I personally, I think I put her at like 11 or 12, uh, just because I think she belongs in the area of like Dominic Cruz, uh, just behind DC, just above uh, the 10 range. I was just curious where you uh, would rank her. It's an interesting question. There was um there was a time not that long ago, a few years back, when people were saying that Amanda Nunes was like the best fighter on the planet. You guys remember that? Like men or women, she is the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. People were saying that. Having said that, um I'd have to like really think about this, but I would say she's I would put her in the top ten. I'd put her in my top ten. With everything she's accomplished and just this run she's had. I mean, she's been a, she was a UFC champion for seven years. For seven years running, she was a champion. Seven years. That is a ridiculous run. I know she lost to Juliana Pena, but sometimes it's good to have two titles, even when the division doesn't exist, because then you can have that, that statistic. But I really think, like, and I think most people would agree. I mean, I just thought she was going to kill Juliana Pena. She didn't seem all that into the matchup. Didn't seem all into that into the fight. And Juliana caught her at the right time. I'm not calling it a fluke. Like, it just seemed like everything lined up perfectly for that upset to happen. But it happens. I mean, GSP lost to Matt Serra. That is the greatest upset in the history of the sport. That will always be the greatest upset in the history of the sport, at least in my opinion. But then... They ran it back, and GSP beat the hell out of them. Same thing happened with Nunes and Pena. So, yeah, she's top 10. Where do I put her? Not sure, but I feel comfortable saying top 10. Uh, let's go to Cole. Then we'll go to Barbarusa. Then we'll go to Anish. What's up, Cole? Good morning, Mike. Yeah, on that, all I got to say is New York Rick. Get that cyborg talk the fuck out of here. She is not the GOAT. People dog on Amanda for that one loss to Juliana more than any fighter ever. And she avenged that loss, dominated her. Get that out of here, New York Rick. I don't want to hear it. That's all I got. I mean, I get it. I get it. Um, I want to pull up... I'm going to just pull up both women's Topologies real quick. I can't put the same way I couldn't put Volkanovsky above Islam after that fight in February as like the number one pound for pound fighter. Because if you fight, and this doesn't work out always because time goes by and like things can happen and, and all that. But like if you fight and it's a debate and one person wins that fight. That person gets it. And Amanda fought Chris Cyborg and knocked her dead. Knocked her dead. And this wasn't a fluke. This wasn't anything. These are two women who were landing big punches, and Amanda knocked her out and won the title. She won the fight. So let's see. Let's take a gander at the last since 2016. 
Chris Cyborg beats Darla Ibragamova. Leslie Smith, Lena Landsberg, Tanya Evinger. Those are all finishes. Decision against Holly Holm. Knocked out Yana Santos. Got knocked out by Amanda Nunez. Beat Felicia Spencer via unanimous decision. And then went to Bellator. Beat Julia Budd. That win did not age very well. Submitted Arlene Blanco. Finished Leslie Smith again. Knocked out Sinead Kavanaugh. Won a decision against Arlene Blanco. Amanda Nudez since 2016. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Sounds like a good name to have on the resume. Misha Tate to win the belt. Finisher in the first round. Ronda Rousey, 48 seconds. Valentina Shevchenko again. Close fight. But Nunez won. Finished Raquel Pennington in the fifth round. And that was a vicious beating that Raquel Pennington took. I remember the fallout of that fight. And it had nothing to do with the man in Nunez. It's all about Raquel Pennington's corner not stopping the fight. Because that was just a vicious beating. Then the Cyborg win. Knocked out Holly Holm. Beat Jermaine Duranamy. Beat Felicia Spencer. Submitted to Megan Anderson. Lost to Pena. Beat Pena. Beat Irini Aldana. Chris Cyborg's resume is way more impressive. It's way more impressive. And I get it. You can only fight the people that are available for you to fight. But beating Arlene Blanco twice, Sinead Kavanaugh, like, no disrespect, but Julia Budd, Leslie, like, none of these fighters are anywhere near the vicinity of Valentina Shevchenko or even Raquel Pennington or... Drain Durandamy, who's about to come back, it, it appears. So Nunes' resume is just better. It's just better. She's just fought, she's just fought way tougher competition. She's fought way better competition. So to me, it's not it's not really a debate. But I get it. Like Chris has done it for longer. She only has the one loss. Nunes has a bunch of losses early on in her career. It was kind of like the same way where she just faded and got beat. Happened with Alexis Davis. Happened with Sarah Delelio. Happened with Kat Zingano. Kat Zingano. 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 And it kind of happened in the Pena fight. But, yeah, I don't think this is a debate. I think it's Nunes with a bullet right now. Let's go to Barbarossa. Barbarossa, do we have you? You're yeah. muted. Hi, Mark. Uh, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just want to ask you about the lightweight division. Um, I just it just seems like it's everything aligning up to make a rematch of uh, Alexander Volkanovsky against Islam because it kind uh, seems the uh, the same thing. The second best guy in the division beats the guy on. A long win streak. It happened to Al Arnold with uh, Max, and now happened to Benil. And you can say that you came to my home and coming to yours and fighting for the title. And as you said, uh, as much as good uh, Charles looked, I think um, it he 
he doesn't uh, bring uh, much much more for the table right now. Uh, I think it goes the same. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, look, th- this is this is different than Max because Max has already lost to Volk three times. Like, if Oliver has already lost to Makachev three times, I don't think Dana White would have gone to the press conference and said, yeah, that fight makes sense. I can't wait to see it. It just happened three times. And then the third one was just so dominant that there's just – there's no interest in seeing Holloway fight Volkanovsky again. There's interest here. There is interest here. Especially with how much people just care about Oliveira right now. Like, they all want to see him succeed. Everybody loves him. I love the fact that he's learning English and he was cutting promos a little bit in English. I love that. That's just going to help you even more. And just beating Benil the way he did it. In timing, too. Timing certainly helps. Because look at what else could be available. It's not going to be Poirier and Gaethje. It's just not going to happen. Those two are going to kill each other. There's no way either of those guys are going to be able to turn back around in two, two and a half months to fight Islam Makachev. Nor would they want to. Nor would they want to. I do think the winner of that fight will get a title shot. But it just won't be in October because it just doesn't make sense timeline-wise. So the only other options that are there, one is Chandler. Because if Chandler says, screw McGregor, I'll fight him next year, give me the title fight, the UFC is going to think about that. They're going to go into the war room and they're going to talk about it. And will, and Islam Chandler probably does slightly better on pay-per-view than Islam Oliveira. Chandler's over. You only got him for a certain amount of time. You got to strike while the iron's hot. So you could do that. The other is Volk. And that's more likely, in my opinion, to happen. Uh, Nish, you can hop back in. I'm going to get to you in a second. Um, but he has to, everything has to line up for it. So he has to go in there and just beat the hell out of Yair Rodriguez and be fine enough to the point where he can turn back around and fight Islam. And Volk wants to stay active, and that's great. Problem is, I don't think this fight's going to be easy. And I think Yair Rodriguez, like he does to most people, ask Max Holloway about this. When you fight Yair Rodriguez, you usually lose a piece of yourself in that octagon to him. He did that to Max Holloway. Max Holloway won the battle, but Yair might have won the war. Because we saw how Max looked against Volk. And even the Arnold Allen fight. Max is still good. Still real good. But he doesn't have his fastball anymore. He's not throwing 95. He's throwing 88 on the corners. Which is still very effective. But if you want to strike out the best, pitcher, the best hitters in baseball, got to have a little gas on you too. Max is, yeah, you took a little piece of him. And there's a chance Yair takes a little piece of Volkanovski too. Volk's not 28. He's getting up there in age too. So if he goes out and has a five-round war with Yair, it's going to be tough for him to turn back around. I don't want to see Volk right now. I do not want to see that fight right now. I want to see it again. But give it to me next year. Same time next year. Because I think Islam will probably still be the lightweight champion by then. Even if he fights, if he fights Oliveira, I'm picking Islam to win that fight. 
If he fights the winner of Gaethje versus Poirier, I'm picking Islam to beat both of those guys. And then Volk can fight Yair. And then just Ilya Taporia beats Josh Emmett. We get Volk versus Ilya Taporia. Who doesn't want to watch that? I want to watch that. I would love to watch that fight. There's plenty of guys for Volk to fight right now. They're all coming. So go defend your belt a couple of times. Islam's still the champ. Next year, Abu Dhabi, let's run it back. There's no need to rush it. There's no need to rush that fight. No need to rush it. So I think Oliveira will end up getting the shot. Just because I think Volk, I think Volk's actually probably the favorite. But I just think, yeah, I think Yair is going to give him, I think Yair is going to give him hell. I think Volk will win the fight, but I think Yair is going to give him, give him a lot to think about. He's going to, he's going to hit him. He's going to bust him up. Yair's good. He's real good. I can't wait for that fight. Cannot wait for it. All right. Well, thank you all very much. I had to get a few things off my chest. I feel like this is a safe space. And I feel better. I feel better than I did on Sunday night. I'll tell you that right now. So thank you all very much. We'll be back here Thursday. We'll do it again, 10 a.m. Eastern. Then we'll have a BTL. Uh, I think we're going to drop a, uh, like, not a UFC preview show per se, but we're going to do, like, a combat preview show because this Bellator card is coming up on Friday and, it's a damn good Bellator card. Oh, here's a niche. What the hell, man? Let's see if we can get him in. Yeah, man. How are you? We're all good. We're all good. By saying that you have a great space, a fantastic face. If you could actually put a face to it, you'd be better off than Ariel Helvani's show. Okay. Yeah, and I say that from the bottom of my heart because you have a great presence and the confidence and the flair. I mean, you don't do this as a job. It looks like, yeah, you really, really enjoy doing this. You're not bored. So that's fantastic. No. All right, let me just uh, jump back uh, to the fights now. So, yeah, I, I really love your take on what you said about uh, Volk and Yair. I mean, you just bang on here. But yeah, as far as the lightweight division goes... And who gets the next shot? I can guarantee you that Oliveira is getting the next title shot. I can guarantee you that. Well, uh, and I'll tell you why he's not announcing it as yet. Because he, Dana has this habit of just leading fans into the next fight, which is for that crappy BMF belt, whatever it is. But if he actually goes out and announces Oliveira versus Makashe right now, people will be less interested in watching the outcome of that fight because there's no guarantee what the winner gets next. He very well knows that they won't be able to do a quick turnaround like you mentioned, and there are no other options available, but he'll hold on uh, before he makes that announcement. And once that announcement is done, he'll give an excuse as to why Poirier versus, versus Gagey winner isn't the next title challenger, and he'll just announce Oliveira. That's about the lightweight division. Uh, as far as Amanda Nunes goes, you were perfect in detailing how Chris Cyborg is actually the best uh, female uh, fighter ever. Uh, Amanda Nunes, I think uh, 
he ducked the rematch, the Cyborg rematch. He wanted nothing to do with it. Dana White, we all know how what he did to Cyborg. So, yeah. And, I mean, you said that Amanda people considered her to be, like, the best of all time, like, even amongst the men. But I don't know uh, <clears throat> if you remember, but if you've been watching MMA for a very long time, I don't think there's ever been a woman, apart from Ronda Rousey, consensus greatest of all time. I mean, Joe Rogan and all these other dudes were comparing her to people like Jose Aldo. I mean, who's been around forever, had eight title defenses. They thought she could go up to the men's division and she could beat all of them up. And the kind of hype she had, I don't think any fighter before Conor McGregor broke into the scene had. I mean, arguably, as a woman especially, there's <clears throat> Amanda doesn't even come close to it. That's the kind of hype she had when she was in her prime. I mean, uh, before the Holly Holm fight. Uh, when she starched Bitch Correa in the first round. So, yeah, that's my take on it. So, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Thanks, man. So, I, I, I'm actually on Team Nunez as being number one, and I laid out the resumes. And to me, like, this is, it's, it's almost like picking fights to me. When it comes to, like, debates like this, like, who's number one, who do you pick, all that. It goes by level of competition. And by far, Amanda Nunez has fought better competition than Chris Cyborg. It's not even close. It's not even close. She has fought better bodies. Chris is fighting who she has to fight in Bellator. But there's just nobody there that matches up to, like, really... Outside of, like, you take Megan Anderson and maybe Felicia Spencer out of the equation. It's not even close. So, to me, it's just... Level of competition, plus they fought each other, and Amanda knocked her out in 51 seconds. That puts her over the top for me. But I get where you're coming from. I'm willing to listen to a Chris Cyborg debate here. I know she has me blocked on Twitter for some weird reason. I don't know why. I've had nothing but like good things to say about her. But she blocked me. Whatever. The other thing about the lightweight division, I agree with you. It should be Oliveira. I think he has done enough. That performance has done it. To throw out the word guarantee is tough. And to say that Dana is likes to slow play things is just wrong. It's just not true. And perfect example, Colby Covington. Leon Edwards beats Kamara Usman. Less than a month before Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal are about to fight. Everyone is saying, Boy, we're living in a world that if Jorge Mazadal beats Gilbert Burns, he's going to fight Leon Edwards for the, for the belt. Let's put an end to this three-piece of DeSoto nonsense, and let's just have these two fight. And what does Dana do after Leon's title defense? Colby's next. Oh, but what about the Mazadal fight? Nope. Doesn't matter what happens to that fight. Colby's next. Depends on what day you get Dana, really. But it was Colby all along. And then it just took, it was like a gut punch when he said that to the Mazadal Burns fight. It took all the stakes out of it. it. Took everything away. We knew Burns wasn't going to get it. But Mazadal in Miami, if he beat Gilbert Burns, if he knocked him out, got the huge reaction from the home crowd, cut a great promo, which he would have, just throw it, it just got thrown away. But. 
yeah, I don't know. Saying guarantee about anything when it comes to pay-per-view and title fights, I don't know. It's a tough word to use, especially in the sport in general. Guarantee is tough. It's tough to guarantee anything. It's something. It's one of the most valuable lessons I have learned being involved in this sport. Nothing is guaranteed. Just ask Benil Dariush if anything's guaranteed. But with that, we are done. Now we're really done. Thank you all very much. Back Thursday, another edition of Heck of a Morning. Until then, have a great rest of your day. And as always, have a heck of a morning. listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.